Um, we've been doing a series here for a week or two, uh, going through uh, different topics for the holidays, and all of them beginning with an H. Uh, the first week was hurting during the holidays. Um, we all know um, and feel that by loved ones that have have passed from this life to the next uh, during the holidays and uh, just the grieving and the process of all that. Um, the hurt is real and uh, needs to be recognized and realized, and it's okay. Amen? Um, thank you for all that you've done for me and my family during these past couple weeks. Um, grateful for Dustin Alby stepping up and, and leading the service here. Um, that uh, Dusty had a sermon titled Helping During the Holidays that went really well. I loved watching online and, and seeing the words that were spoken and and uh, then the later follow-up, challenging people to actually go out and help others during the holidays. Uh, there's plenty of people that needs help in our community. And it's our job as a church to not just talk about uh, the needs, but to actually help and lend a helping hand to those in need. Um, appreciate, Joe Don, the stuff you've been doing here lately. Uh, it's laid upon your heart to do to help people. And uh, I know uh, I've saw people talking about uh, and sharing a, a post around recently for tipping well your waiters or waitresses during the holidays because uh, it might be the difference of them being able to provide gifts for their kids or not. So uh, it's your way to help them as they serve you. Um, continue to help. Um, then last week, Albie er, spoke about hoping during the holidays. She said it was hopping. <laughs> I would have rather have heard the hoppy one, maybe. I don't know. And I, I worried about that literally when I wrote it and typed it out. I thought, does that say hopping or hoping? And I, I Googled it three times just to make sure that it was actually hoping uh, and not hopping. So it was hoping, and Albie did a good job um, speaking to us about maintaining hope and keeping hope alive uh, during the season. Uh, today, uh, as a conclusion of this series, and we're going to end it with hosting during the holidays. It's on the screen. Um, hosting during the holidays. Look to your neighbor and say, what kind of host are you? <laughs> you do know there's a difference in host, right? Some people invite you to their house, and it doesn't feel it really warm and welcoming. And others will invite you to their house, and it feels like you're at your own house. So both of them's hosting, but it's the type of hosting. And hosting is something we ought to do as Christians. And so many times Jesus uh, spoke to the crowds and his disciples about sharing and the Sermon on the Mount. He, he mentioned, you know, if somebody asks you for your coat, give them your cloak also, that, you know, if, if they've come to you in need, that you go above and beyond what they even ask. And uh, 
Jesus exemplified that through his life, that when people came with needs, they left his presence with those needs met. There was many hurting that had come to him. There was many that had hoped. And there was many that needed help when they came to Jesus. There was no better host that's ever lived on the planet than him. And when we give our lives to Jesus, we don't just give him parts of our lives, but our whole life. And our whole life should be that as a, the term Christian, you know, to be Christ-like, is something that we should live out, and, and that means be like Jesus. Jesus once said he didn't even have a place to lay his head. The Son of Man doesn't. But often you'll find him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane or going up on a mountain to pray or laying down sleeping in a boat that he'd borrowed. Or he found a way to rest without a lot of material things. And he found a way to be a host without a lot of material things. Because some of us, you know, our homes are not that immaculate mansion on the hill, and we think, well, I can't be a good host because I don't have a lot. But Jesus set the golden rule, an example of that, of saying that it doesn't matter what you got. It's how you treat people. And hosting is something that we as Christians should do, not just during this season, but all year long. So as I begin to think about the word host, and, and, and just in the Christmas story of Luke chapter 2, it's verse 13. The word host comes from the Christmas story and it was in one of our songs that we sang earlier I'm going to read this to you Luke chapter 2 verse 13 and it said and suddenly everybody say suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men let's pray father we thank you for this season we thank you for these sermons we ask that you just speak into our hearts clear our minds make our ears able to hear what your spirit is saying to us as a body that we would hear and that we would do, and that we would be what you've called us to be. Jesus, we thank you that you were the greatest host to ever live on this planet. Let us follow in your footsteps. And let us understand your word and apply it to our lives so we can become like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Sometimes the hardest people to host may be your family. 
Does anybody have some family that it's hard to host? It's hard to invite over. Amy's looking at April, so yeah, I just saw pictures there the night you had them over. They was playing a lot of games, it looked like, so it was easy to host. Yeah. Has anybody ever been in a disagreement with somebody in your family? I'd like to show of hands if you've ever been in a disagreement or argument with somebody in your family. The rest of you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. You need to repent now. Somebody somewhere has got up on your nerves. And maybe you didn't argue with them, but you did without speaking. <laughs> maybe you did it through shunning or keeping distance. Romans does say that uh, live peaceably with all men if it be possible. Hey, <laughs> man, look at somebody and say sometimes it's just impossible. <laughs> It's hard. So that's where you got to take the whole Bible into, into uh, how we live our lives. We can't just take one verse and pick it apart. But. but as I began to think about that, I thought some some of us do spend too much time fighting with our family instead of fighting for our family. The Bible is very clear that we are in a spiritual battle. That the enemy of our souls comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his stated mission in Scripture. His entire goal is to wreak havoc upon mankind. So that we have to suffer like him. But John 10, 10, the verse where it says that, says that Jesus came that we would have life and life more abundantly. That it isn't God's plan for you to have hurts and pain. But it's his goal that you would have life. And it doesn't mean that there won't be any sorrow. Revelation says that God is bottling up the tears that we cry and shed here upon this earth. The wise king said there's a time for everything. Time for sorrow, time for rejoicing. Don't you love babies? I do. Don't don't it don't bother me at all. I love babies. Elsie's not here to cheer me on right now, so we got another helper. So this host that is mentioned here in Luke chapter 2, you know, sometimes when we hear that and hear that in the Christmas story, we think about angels, and it's kind of pictured here in the image that I found online to be that, but Verse 13 said, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. 
a multitude of heavenly hosts. Everybody say, that's a lot. So as I begin to ponder about that and, and look up this word in the Hebrew and try to go back in the Greek and try to figure out what, what exactly are they talking about here, what's Luke trying to paint a picture of, that during the Christmas story, that a heavenly host, a multitude of hosts shows up. There must have been something pretty important going on for there not to be one host but a multitude. And I begin to ponder about this Christmas story and think about it, Rick, how this Christmas story spells out in our Bible. And, and I think we need to read this and reread this and go through this, Matthew 1 and 2 and, and Luke 1 and 2, and just go over it and regurgitate it over and over and over and over again because sometimes we get misconceived ideals about what society has taught us that Christmas story is about versus what the Christmas story in the Bible is about. I want the biblical version of Christmas. Because if we look to the world for the answers about what Christmas is, they're going to teach us that it's magic. <laughs> but in all reality, according to these texts that we read in this Bible, we're going to see that it's the miraculous. And the miraculous is on the opposite side of magic. Magic is trickery, sorcery, cunning, treacherously, how, how, how often we're dealing with, dealing with each other treacherously, that we deceive each other, the scripture says. And the world will deceive, deceive us if we look to it for answers versus the Bible for answers. And I would rather have a miracle over magic. And I'm not telling you you can't go to Disney. Go to Disney. Have a big old time. Let your kids grow up there. That's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not putting any of this stuff down that's got a little bit of this seemingly in it to get their creative imaginations going on. I'm good with all that. I'm not preaching against that, so don't take me wrong. I'm trying to say don't take me wrong, okay? But what if your kids grew up with more awe of God than they did of magic? What if we created an atmosphere where that God was exemplified through the reading of scriptures and they looked and they saw miracles and the miraculous and the, the, just the splendor of God and went, wow, you, you've seen the faces. I, I've seen them, Brittany, with Ledger and them down there. What, and looking, when they see those things at, at the Magic Kingdom, it's awesome, the, the awe on their face. Our job as a church and as Christians, is to cause people to see the splendor of God with that same awe. The same, I, I can't even catch a breath, I can't take a breath because I'm struck by this thing that I'm reading. Do you hear me? But this Christmas story, as I begin to think through it and, and read through this, how many miracles took place in these few short verses that we just glean over and just read over because it's just so many verses in Luke chapter 2? So many places and so many things, so many different people. We read about the shepherds, the magi, 
all these folks. Anna. If it's not a miracle for a woman well in her age, postmenopausal, becoming pregnant with a child, everybody say that's a miracle. But sometimes we read over that and think over that and say, well, that's just a Christmas story. It's a miracle. Because this couple, in their culture, if you didn't have children, you was looked down upon like something was wrong, that God was punishing you, not giving you these children, that your armor, your, your um, quiver was full. And there's verses about it in the Bible. And in their culture, in their day, they was looked down upon. But he still held his job. Elizabeth was still at home. And he was still up there working. He was in the temple. He was doing his duties in the church. Sometimes the issues that we face and the things that culture places on us shouldn't stop us from doing the work of the ministry. It's a miracle that he had a mindset, I'm going to keep on doing the right thing even though it looks like God has forsaken me. And sometimes you're going to feel like that you, you sense that God has forsaken you. But let me tell you this, there is a verse that says God will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He'll go with you even to the end of the age. And if God's on your side, you've got a pretty good host. If God has invited you into his family, you have a pretty good host. But in this Christmas story, as all this miraculous is happening and all these things, and, you know, Joseph having these issues about, man, why, why did my girlfriend get pregnant and I'm not involved? Somebody say, that's a miracle. He could, get, he could have got tore up about it, and he did. But in the midst of that, who shows up? An angel shows up and begins to speak to him and said, take her for your wife anyway. Well, God, I don't want to. How many of us talk about faith that moves mountains? It takes faith. But God sent an angel to give him the uh, courage and the strength and the knowledge that this is my will. This is my plan. An angel showing up and speaking to you is a miracle. That's miraculous. That's the spiritual that God is in this realm of the spiritual. And there's battles going on. Do you think the enemy was sitting back saying, well, you know, God's going to send his son. I think I'll just set this one out. Didn't do that, did he? He put the right man in the right place at the right time, Caesar Augustus, to do a census. He had Herod, the treacherous Herod, in place as a governor over all of Israel. He had all the people in the right spots at the right time the enemy did. And he had every plan to make sure that this babe in this manger that these kids just come up here and told us about and sung about, he was making sure, I'm going to take him out before he gets started. Is anybody with me? But a heavenly host showed up <laughs> with the angel. So I got to thinking about this heavenly host and, and this host, like this picture, this imagery here, that a heavenly host, the earth is there. It's the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all God's, every bit of this. But here they got a heavenly host 
watching over this miraculous thing happening called Christmas. Jesus' birth. Everybody say, if God be for me, who can be against me? So when you look out and see that it looks like you're surrounded, that it looks like the enemy's about to take you out, and you feel like your faith is dwindling, you feel like giving up and throwing in the towel and saying, I- I've had enough pain, I've, had a- I've hoped long enough, I've tried to help so much in church, I've done all the deeds, I've checked every box, but I feel like I'm slipping, and I'm ready just to throw in the towel. It's what are you looking at. It's what are you paying attention to. Because the enemy is going to try to get you to focus on what the enemy is trying to do to your life. But God. And when this host shows up, I begin to think about this heavenly host. And, 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 and in Scripture, where's that at? And is there other pictures of that? And is there places that talks about this? And it goes back to the Old Testament that there's a, a place of, uh, uh, in the Scripture in 2 Kings chapter 6 that there's a story of Elisha the prophet that had been handed down this mantle from the prophet Elijah. And, he, and he's out there and he's, he's struggling and, and society's against him and, and there's wars and rumors of wars and it's a world going to hell in a handbasket and everything is going wrong. And Elijah the prophet goes down into this area and he's thinking, I'm going to go down here and I'm going to spend the night. And the next thing you know, the enemy finds out he's there and they come and it says they circle him they bring chariots they bring horsemen they bring all the soldiers they could round up and they completely surrounded him in this valley so the next morning he wakes up and he's got this guy that's with him that is his servant his helper and he he sends him out and he says go out and check out what's going on today the bible says that the servant goes out and looks and he says we are surrounded today is our last. God has protected us this far. He's helped us this far. He's hosted us everywhere. But today is the day. And this is the end. And Elijah's sitting there in the house when the servant comes back in. He says, well, go out and look again. But he prays this prayer and he says, God, open his eyes. To see who you are. And it says his servant goes back outside. And he looks. And all around the mountaintops. It is surrounded by a heavenly host. The armies of God. The chariots of God. So the people that thought they had them surrounded. Was surrounded. Amen. Wouldn't you like to be in a situation where you feel like that it's too much and you can't take any more, that God would give you a clear vision and open up your eyes and drop the scales off your eyes so that you could see what he sees? Because there's a heavenly host, Betty, that's out there, and he is on top of the hills, and he's got the high ground, and the battle's his. It's not mine. Elijah didn't have to pick up a sword. He didn't have to do anything. The Bible says that he prayed this prayer as the servant came back in and said, Yeah, I saw a heavenly host. They were surrounding the mountains. It was glorious. It was splendid. I can't explain to you how many people God has sent to encamp around about those that are opposing us. Our enemies are fixing to fail because God is with us. And Elijah the prophet prays a prayer and he says, God calls them to go blind. 
Cause the ones that's here to kill me to go blind. And the God granted his wish. Not magic. A miracle. Look at your neighbor and say, not magic. A miracle. When God can cause an entire army to go blind in an instant. It's a miracle. And it says the prophet went out with them and said, here, go this way. And he took them into another region, into Samaria. And he leads them in, and he gets them there, and they're completely bewildered because they're blinded, and they're marching along in their little journey. Can you imagine these chariots and these horses and these sounds and, and the smells and all these things happening? And they're blinded, and they're following some guy's voice, and it's the guy that they come to kill, and he's leading them into this area. And he gets them there to Samaria. And the Bible says that he prays another prayer. And he says, Lord, open their eyes. What if we prayed prayers like that? That we believed, actually believed, God opened their eyes. And the Bible says their eyes were open. And as they looked, they saw they were in Samaria. They no longer had the advantage. They were in an area where they were outnumbered. God's people is surrounded by a heavenly host that will always outnumber the enemy. And when they got there, they opened up their eyes and they were enlightened and they saw we're outnumbered. And it says they baked bread and gave to them and they broke bread. And Elijah the prophet didn't kill them. He sat down with them and gave them drink and gave them bread. And they had a meal. And it says in those verses that there was no longer a struggle between those two groups. God can cause you to live at peace even with those that hate you. It's a miracle. But that's what he does. That's the type of host God is. And as we go through the Bible, and, and there's one more story that I want to tell you, and then we're done. The same area, Samaria. We know that Jesus went there, right? The woman of Samaria meets her to, at the well. Been married five times. She goes back, tells the whole town. The whole town comes out, meets with him. Wow, it's awesome. Jesus is awesome. He's a good host at the well, right? But then you go to Acts chapter 8, and it says that Philip, the evangelist, goes to Samaria. And as he goes there, miracles begin to happen, and there's a revival breaks out in Samaria. And there's many who believed. When miracles happen, revival happens. The Christmas story is about sparking a point in time where miraculous things happen in, 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 in a manner that hadn't been seen before. They were dumbfounded that Jesus could give sight to the blind, to cause the deaf to ear, to cause a man with a withered hand to stretch out his hand. It was crazy the amount of, of, of things that had happened during Jesus' tenure here on this earth during his lifetime of 33 and a half years. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And he says, it's better for me to go away because greater things shall you do than I'm doing. Not miracles so that we can walk around and, and brag about who we are. 
It's a miracle so we can walk around and brag about who he is. Amen? And I believe in miracles. I serve a God of miracles. He's still alive and well on the throne today, and he's doing miracles in our life every day, whether we realize it, whether we understand it, whether we say it, whether we believe it, it's still happening. Miracles happen today. So Philip's out there, and these miracles are happening. There's, it's crazy. People, uh, just all these things happening. And it got back to Jerusalem. Hey, there's a revival up in Samaria. And it says that the apostles, Peter, some of the apostles said, well, we better go stick our nose in it, right? God's up to something. I'm, I better go see if I can mess this thing up. Come on, somebody. Let miracles start happening. Watch. People, people will come running. I've, I've been involved in revivals. I've seen these things. I'm telling you, when revivals happen, people come running, and that's okay. But F Peter goes up there, and you know, he gets there, and he says, now, now what, what is this you believe? Oh, we believe in Jesus. Good, me too. I walked with him. I was with him three years. I was one of his disciples. I'm one of the ones who said, come follow me. I walked on the water with him. I've seen the miracles that he did. And these miracles that you're seeing, it's him. He says, how were you baptized? We was baptized in Jesus' name. That's awesome. Have you received the gift of the Holy Ghost? What are you talking about? And it says Peter and a disciple with him begin to lay hands on them, and they begin to speak with other tongues. A miracle. The miraculous the spiritual beyond the realms of this normalcy that we know. And as this began to happen, there was a sorcerer among them. He had believed in Jesus. He was following Philip. He was watching the miracles. He was astounded by them, and it caused him to lean in. But in the midst of that, when he saw that the Holy Spirit was given by the laying on of hands, he says to Peter, he says, Peter, I'll give you some money if you'll give me this power. <laughs> Go read it. It's in Acts chapter 8. And it's awesome because Peter turns around to him and says, you might have believed in Jesus, but you don't know the Jesus that you believed in because the Jesus you believed in don't give people money, money so that they can buy things. He gives them power over the de demons and the, and the things of this earth. Why? Because this is God's ground. You cannot buy the gifts of God. God's not for sale. And he tells him, you better repent. If you think you can buy God, you better repent. <laughs> and Simon the sorcerer, it don't really tell us if he did or didn't. Leaves us hanging in the balance. Because he was used to trickery. He was used to sorcery. He was used to magic. But he knew his was fake. And he knew this was real. How many of us believe more in our own abilities than we do the power of God? I'm praying for miracles to happen in the lives of God's people in ways that we don't understand. And sometimes they come in shapes and sizes and ways and understandings that we don't see. But it doesn't make them any less of a miracle.
heavenly host. So this season of Christmas, as you host your friends, your family, your neighbors, your community, I want you to begin to believe for the miraculous. There's nothing wrong with Santa Claus coming down the chimney and bringing his presents. That's all okay. But the baby in a manger that become a man and hung on a cross is a lot more important. And when we say Jesus is the reason for a season, let's believe it. And let's watch him do work and miracles in our life and in our family. Let's be God kind of host. Godly host. Heavenly host. In Hebrews 13 it says we need to entertain strangers because sometimes unaware we're entertaining angels. How we treat others, God is going to judge us by that. That's what that verse is saying. So let us pray. God, I thank you for this awesome group of people that are here present, that are watching online, that will listen on the podcast. God, as they have listened and they have an understanding and their ears were open, God, that you've painted an imagery in their mind of a Jesus that does miracles. God, this hope that Albie's preached about, this help that Dusty preached about, the hurt that I preached about, God, let us see miracles during this season of our lives. God, we ask you to do the things that only you can do. God, we're tired of struggling, of of trying to make things happen on our own and, and using these things of cunning craftiness and all these things that you tell us in your word. God, we have to depend on you. God, I pray that you awaken our hearts to expect miracles. Lord, as I've heard so many Christians say, that expectancy is the breeding ground of miracles. God, let an expectancy come into the hearts of the believers sitting here today. God, as they're listening today, God, let an expectancy come. Lord, that you would just come into our heart, come into our mind, come into our soul, and cause us to believe like we've never believed before. Give us faith to move mountains. And let us pray for miracles. Because that's who you are. And that's what you do. A season where we can be host of the miraculous. The birth of the Christ.